Well, I thought I'd give you a little bit of the feel of what it's like to be in a roller coaster. How many like roller coasters? Okay, and, and what do you like about them? They're fast. Good. What else? Anything else? Yeah, the rush, the thrill, the excitement, the adrenaline, all the stuff that happens that you get just all oh, at the peak of your emotions. And, and, and you ride those things. Now, they're nice, but how many would like to ride a roller coaster 24-7, six to seven days a week? Yeah, okay, there's a few. Always in every crowd, there's a few. But if you were to do that, you'd probably get nauseous, sick. You wouldn't, I mean, you'd be going, get me off this thing. What I want to talk about this morning is the fact that I think there are individuals who ride through life emotionally on a roller coaster. They're up and down and they hit the twists and the turns and throughout life. And, and uh, for a number of years in my life, that was true. I'm a little emotional at times. Some of you see that on Sunday mornings. And there was that going up and down. And you know what's interesting? My wife, who's married with me, we call her, you know, Grace, we call her G-Rock because she's stable and solid and, and has that ability and just to kind of be firm. And what I find interesting is that, you know, you may find that you, if you're not yourself, one up and down, you may have married someone like that, right? And at times you kind of go, I want to get off the ride. You're, you know, you're the even Steven, steady Eddie, still Jill. I'm coming up with names here. Help me out. Rock solid, Susan. Now, I want you to know something that you who maybe are more that steady, kind of rock solid, you don't have. The reason you often are attracted to someone who has those emotional highs and ups and downs is because usually you're more emotionally reserved, kind of hide behind the wall with your emotions and you don't express them as well. And something in you kind of like that, likes the charge of it, the thrill of it. You just didn't know it would be 24-7, six to seven days a week, right? Well, you know what I think is interesting is as we read through Philippians and we continue in this study, you're going to find that um, Paul says something very interesting. He at one point, as we looked about a couple weeks ago in Philippians 3, just before this, he says, imitate me. Um, One of the things I want you to do is to mimic, and it's a kind of, um, watch what I do and do it. That's how you learn. Well, now as we come to this passage of Scripture, because that was a section of Scripture in chapter 3 that we are looking at, now as we move to this one, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, it's another section where... Paul is kind of developing some thoughts. They're kind of run-on thoughts. They're not like I would go, you could go point by point, but we're going to draw some points out today. But one of the things he says at the end of it is in verse 9. And he makes this kind of statement that if you practice, if you listen to, if you watch me, if you do what I'm doing, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now think about it for a second. Can you imagine someone coming up to you and saying, you know, in the area of joy, in the area of peace, I'm going to, you just watch me do what I'm doing, follow these practices, and you will grow in joy and peace. Now you might think, well, that's a big, tall order to do that. But, you know, people do that all the time. Like an accountant might come up to you and an accountant might say, you know what, if you just spend some time with me, I will teach you how to put a spreadsheet together to work to these numbers so that you can, you know, develop well accounting skills. 
Someone else might come to you in, in, in like a Stacy who's playing the guitar or Joel who is playing the drums. He might, they might say to you, you know, I could teach you if you want to learn the guitar, some chords and some basics. And after a while, if you practice and you do this over and over again, guess what? You will grow in your ability to be a guitar player. And eventually, if you really work at it, you could be an accomplished guitar player. Golf pros do that all the time, right? They'll come up and they'll tell you, and, and you'll take lessons, and they'll say, you know, if you just if you just kind of watch what you're doing and and and, and take your shot and, and 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 follow their instructions and do what they've practiced, they've told you to practice, do you'll you'll have a longer shot. Well, that's baloney. <laughs> They're liars. You're wasting your money. I've golfed with some of you. No, no. We say that all the time in areas. And one of the things you need to realize is this whole idea of joy and peace is, is, is not just something we're called to experience. It is actually something that can grow in us like a fruit, and it also is a skill that you develop. That's why Paul can say, if you do these things, if you watch me, if you receive what I've been instructing to you, you, if you will do this, don't have to ride this roller coaster any longer. You can begin to allow through your relationship with Jesus Christ and some of these practices that you, that you begin to put together in your life and follow, you will actually find that you can regulate those ups and downs. I tell you this because I know that God has done that in my life. God can do this. It is possible through a, a faith walk and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I want you to know this. Now, we've been looking at this passage of Scripture before this, and, we've, and, and, and Paul has a number of times talked about joy. But now, as we get into this passage of Scripture, he's going to combine it with peace. And when you think of Galatians, Paul says there's fruits that can grow in you. There are fruits of love. And as you've been looking, if you look at Philippians, through the, read through the letter, Philippians chapter 2, and other, it's all about sacrifice and, and, and this attitude of humility that seeks to reach out into love and to put others before yourself. It's all about growing in the skill in this ability to love. And then it, it moves into this throughout this whole letter. It talks about joy. And then in the fruits of the Spirit, it says love, joy, and then what comes next? Peace. So one of the reasons Paul wants you to learn to love, and then he's been talking a lot about joy, is because he also knows with joy comes peace. And that's what he would like for us to experience. There's some important points, and I'm going to draw these out. It's, Paul's kind of writing here, kind of his thoughts, and I'm sure he has some idea of what he's saying. But there's basically three things, three practices that if you put into place will develop peace in your life. It's as you go after joy, in a sense, this peace will become a part of your life over time. But it takes practicing what Paul said for you to do. And the very first thing, if you look at verses 2 through 3, he talks about relational peace. And what he, what he talks about here is not that you keep peace, but you make peace. You really put effort into it. And then the next few verses, verses 4 through 7, is some of the more popular ones, especially people um, think of the, the words rejoice in the Lord again. I will say rejoice or do not be anxious about anything. Those verses there, this is all about what I would call emotional peace. It's, it's about regulating your heart and your mind so that your emotions stay in line. And he gives you some steps in how to do that. So there's this practice first of relational peace and there's this emotional peace. And then he begins to talk about as you move into this place of peace through this emotional peace, he then talks about what I would call mental peace, what you do with your mind. 
which is all about maintaining peace. It's not the decision you make once. It's a practice that you do again and again, and it involves your mind. So let's kind of dig into this and take a look at it. You all know, as you've experienced in life, that when you are in strife, if you've grown up in a home where there's strife and experienced that, you learn a pattern of strife. You learn to be often in relationships where there's strife. And, and one of the ways that you experience peace is to begin to deal with strife and, and to work those things out. Now, if you have a relationship with someone who's further removed, you don't experience that strife as much, maybe just at holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, right, or things like that. But the closer you are, the more strife in your life. And Paul says, man, I really want you to learn to live in peace with one another. There's a Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1, and the message says it this way, a meal of bread and water in contented peace. A meal of bread and water in contented peace is better than a banquet spiced with quarrels. You can live in a situation where you have a beautiful home, eating the best of meals, you have all the toys you want to play with, you can have all these wonderful things, but you can live in a place where there's strife. It's in your home or where you work. And I want to tell you, you will not experience peace. You will not know joy. And one of the things that he says here in verses 1 and 2, or verses 2 and 3, as he goes on, he, he has to deal with a specific issue where there's strife within this body of this church, this community. So he says in verse 2, I plead with you, you Odi, I'm, I'm pleading with you, and I plead with you, Syntica. I'm pleading with you both to be of the same mind in the Lord. He's basically hearkening back what he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, if there's any encouragement, if there's any joy you want to bring me, here's one of the things you can do. You can have the same attitude, the same mind, the same humble, sacrificing spirit of Jesus Christ who gave Himself, not so that He could get, but that He could give, that He could actually serve, that He could actually become a slave to His Father's will. And He says, would you humble yourself around the will of the Father, you two, so that you can get along, that could be peace, not only in your midst, but peace within this community of believers. Now that works well, and sometimes people work things out, but Paul also recognizes that when it comes to making peace, it may not be just up to an individual or the other individual. Sometimes you need to bring in a third party. So Paul beats him to the punch, and he says in verse 3, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion... It could be a personal name. I think he's saying my true companion because he's writing and this person's name is the same possibly. It means the same thing. We do that with names from time to time. We call someone Rocky who's rock solid and hard. He says, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I want you to put effort into making peace to get relationally in right place with one another. I want you to do the hard work throughout the New Testament. As you see Jesus' life, He talks about the need to be the kind of people that are peacemakers. He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He's not about stuffing your emotions or the issues. He's not about avoiding the issues. He's not about going around the issues. Too many of us do that. If you, if you want a healthy relationship with others, you want a healthy church community, you have to actually face and wrestle through and do the hard work, which isn't easy. But this is the practice they see in Paul. He's even modeling it here. He doesn't just write a letter and then let it go. He says, this issue needs to be dealt with. And some of you know, as I'm speaking right now, there are some issues you need to deal with. 
And you may need to involve a person to come alongside you to help you. And don't give up. And I mean, it's too easy to go, I tried this, I tried... There's this sense in the spirit of peacemaking. It is Jesus is saying, I want you to go through it to get to the other side. And that takes work. And sometimes that takes time. But stay committed to it. Work at it. And move together so that you can experience the humility of what it means to have the Spirit of God move you together and lead you. Some of you need to do that in your marriages. Some of you need to do that with regard to your families. Some of you may need to do that with someone that you work with. You need to actually say, God, I want relational peace. I am willing to do the work. What does it mean? What do I need to do? What do I need to invest to make this happen? And as I was writing this, I thought to myself, I can't go past this without saying, let's get real. Because I was thinking through this, you know what, some of you who are new may not be able to grasp this and understand it if you come to the church in the last year or so. But you know, for a number of years, there is strife in our church. There was a lot of discord. It was difficult. It was painful. And I don't think um, it was without God making us better in our character as a result of the end process to it. But in it was no fun. And yet I have to share with you, there were people who stuck at it and were hard workers and said, we're going to commit ourselves to do it, who were good at saying, I'm not going to complain or I'm not going to go ahead and spread gossip. I'm not going to do this. There were people within our body who, um, even within our elder board, who, who actually humbled themselves and together saw the Spirit of God as we came around a like-mindedness around our friendship and our, and our goals of what we're doing. And we saw God move in such a way. And for the last year, we've experienced peace and joy. Right? Isn't it wonderful? Who wants to go back to that? Anybody? But it's our job. If we're going to experience joy, if we're going to be in peace, it's not to skirt the issues, but to face the issues, to work through them, and to, as Jesus said, blessed will you be if you make peace. You do the hard work. Now, there are times where you can be in situations where you can only do as much as you can. Paul at one point says in Romans 12, he says, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. And love isn't always just kind of cheery nice. Sometimes it's hard truth. And sometimes it means bringing other people in, as Paul does here. And then he goes on in verse 18, he says, and if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Catch that? Do all you can do. Expend all you can to make that be the kind of relation that brings peace. Practice emotional peace is what he goes on to say. So if you practice this and you begin to work at it, and I'm not telling you some easy answers. Some of you are going out there, I've been doing this. You know what? God says, then, then pray to him, open your heart to him, ask for greater revelation, continue to move into it, stay faithful, bring people into it, do all those things. So there isn't a quick answer to this, except for a commitment to say, Jesus, I'm going to humble myself and walk with you. Then there's emotional peace. It's a practice. What does it mean to have emotional peace? There's three steps to this that Paul seems to, to kind of outline here, and we find it in other places in Scripture. There's a trio of things that he seems to say are important to do. And he begins by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice that we have in English is also somewhat similar in the, in the Greek language, is the idea that you might get reform something or re-engineer something or replace something. It's the idea that something was there and you do it again. There is a sense that when Paul starts out, he can't say it enough. He says, you know what, I want you to choose joy again and again and again and again. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Every morning when you get up, make that choice to say, I'm going to choose joy in you, not in my circumstances or what's going on, but I'm going to choose joy in you, Lord. Joy is this interesting kind of concept, that is this fact that Paul goes on and you read in Philippians that externally he's not touched by it, he's in prison, he's, he's facing a death very soon, a very, I mean, he's going to be beheaded, he's, he's aware that could happen, he has these negative things coming in his life, and yet he says he's joyful. It's what I talked a number of weeks ago about joy jitsu, these things would come in towards him and he would just take the momentum of them and use them for God's glory. So he's in this place, and yet at the same time, Paul's so real and so vulnerable with his emotions. He's not a person, he's not stuffing it, he's not being fakey. So he's not on this roller coaster, and at the same time, though he's not just stuffing his feelings, because he says, you know, if Epaphroditus, he dies, this friend that you sent to me, there'll be sorrow upon sorrow, I'm anxious for him to be with you. He talks about the fact that he's got these experiences in the Philippian church. He says, if, if you guys don't unite, it, you know, it's going to affect my joy, he says. He says, in fact, if you guys come around this and, and, and develop this, it will fulfill my joy. How can that be? Externally not touched, and yet externally impacted. It's all about this. It's where your joy is in. We all will experience moments and times of sorrow. And it's important that we experience that. We're real with that. We're vulnerable in that way. And yet we don't live there. No one is called to live in that sense of despair and sorrow. The other day, some of you have had this experience, probably much worse than mine. I had a tree fall, I had water in the basement, and... I got this really, really nice Weber grill for Father's Day. And I'm watching, not sheets of rain, it was, a, it was a land hurricane. Seriously. It was a wall of rain. I've never seen it come so deep into our porch. A wall of rain for almost five, ten minutes and just going on. And I'm just awed and I look over and here is my beautiful, nice new grill, 12 feet to almost 20 yards out in my yard, broke, spent, you know, on its face. Pick it up later, hardly get thing up, and one of the things was broken off, and the others are all bent, and I'm going, God, oh, Lord. I, I want to tell you, I'm still a little bummed. <laughs> Yet that's not my life. He says rejoice in the Lord, in the confidence that this God is with you, and He's moving through you. And yes, you'll have to work through some of these things, and yes, there's things that come in your life that, that could increase your joy, but their joy is it's really like icing on the cake. The cake is who you have in relationship to Jesus. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, I want you to recognize that your gentleness should be evident to all. The word gentleness is a word that's non-translatable. In fact, every version you look in the Bible tries to translate it differently. Aristotle used in contrast to the word instead of gentleness or, or some would say unselfishness or generosity or magnanimous spirit. Aristotle used the word strict justice. He says, let your, your spirit be such that as you choose joy, you go about it with this magnanimous spirit with others. You live this way of life where you don't live being offended day in and day out, but you, you have this joy that, that as you choose it controls you. And then as it controls you, then you come before the Lord. And the second thing you do, the second step is you pray. So someone's getting under your skin and you've got this kind of, what one of the translations called gentleness, sweet reasonableness. And you're choosing joy because it's in the Lord. 
And then you go to the Lord and you pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, he says. With thanksgiving, through prayer and petition, give that to God. Pastor Paul, some of you know him. He's in his 90s. He's in one of our visitees. He does a lot of visitation for us still as our, as our pastor emeritus. He will use this verse often when we have these prayer times in the morning and Sunday mornings. And he will say, the word of God says, cast your care on the Lord. You know, cast. And he says the word actually means to roll your burden over to the Lord. That's what it means. It means as you go through this step, and here's the practice of what Paul would do. He would practice to choose joy. And then as he chose joy, he would begin to pray about it, and he would leave it in God's hands, and then he would do it with a grateful, thankful heart. One of the most important things that I have done that has changed my life in the last three years is to start when I journal. Then one of the last things I do is I write a list of thanksgiving. It is amazing how that has changed my, my spirit and my joy. I just challenge you to do it. You know, there's lots of books out there. There's a book like 100 or 1,000 or maybe a million gifts or something like that book. Yeah, a thousand gifts. There's these books that will talk about it, but I'm going to ask you not just to listen, but to practice it. You may need to do this every morning. My wife, um, I think, got this from Joyce Meyer. She listens to her, my, um, as I've used before, my, my aunt. Um, just kidding, she isn't. Anyway, she will say Psalm 118, verse um, 24, I believe it is. Where, where she, every morning my wife will kind of look over at me and she'll say, this is the day the Lord has made. What are you going to do? I'm going to rejoice and be glad on it, of course. That might be something you need to do. You know what this should remind you of when I talk about these three steps and this practice of emotional peace? It should remind you of what we've been talking about through May when we said for 30 days, three times a day, three verses... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Some of you are wearing this on your wrist where it says, Be joyful, pray continuously, give thanks. Paul wrote that in that summation of 1 Thessalonians 5 because I think those were, those were practices that he did. Those were steps he took that allowed for his own emotion to be regulated. And so he, he practices in his life this relational peace doing the work, making it happen, giving his heart to doing that. And then he will move into emotional peace through these steps of, of choosing joy, praying on a constant basis, giving the stuff to God. And then as he gives it to God, he does it with a spirit of thanksgiving. And what happens is it allows for the, the, the immeasurable, unexplainable peace of God, it says in this passage, to control your hearts and mind. There is something that happens when you do that. And when you do it again and again and again. And uh, one of the things that he moves on to then after he says, you know, this, this all-surpassing peace that, that goes beyond all understanding, when you begin to kind of give that over, there's just a sense of, boy, this is, this, I, can, I can let go of this and I can enjoy the fact that even though this may be tough, God really loves me. He really cares. He does care about me. And as you begin to do that, you move into this place where he calls for what I call um, a mental peace. Another way to look at it is he's really calling people to dwell with their mind on things that are positive. Some of you remember years ago when the former pastor was here, he would talk about, and George Kenworthy would talk about stinking thinking. Anybody remember that? It's really true. 
See, what, what Paul is saying here is, is I want you to recognize this is very important that in order to have the kind of, you know, if you make peace relationally and you move into peace through these three steps of this practice of emotional peace, then I want you to know this. Mental peace maintains what you've been doing. It is that which with your mind you begin to think about these things. And he makes it very clear when he talks about these things. He, he, he talks about the fact that we are to give our mind, brothers and sisters, to whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. He's not just listing these for fun. He's saying all these things, if you think about those things, you dwell on those, you keep your mind in that place, it will guide you in joy. It will maintain this spirit, this practice that you've been doing as you relationally keep the peace, as you emotionally are peaceful. Now mentally, your mind, your mind is so important, folks. What you think about will determine how you act. Paul knew that. I was driving home from a, a visit with my parents. It was their 60th anniversary just about a couple weeks ago. And I spent the day with them. And it was just really uh, great. It really was good to be with them. And as I was coming back from Rockford, Illinois, listening to CDs and these great courses on events that change history, it was just it was really fun. Anyway, so I'm driving along, and I'm, I'm, I'm driving at a pretty good pace. And I'm coming along in the lane to pass a truck. And there was maybe this much room between that first pew and where I'm at. And a car comes flying along and cuts right in front of me. I mean, I was ticked. Seriously. I mean, that got my attention. And I was angry. I couldn't believe this guy. He put me in danger and himself and the people in the car. I mean, I wanted to give some hand signals and I didn't. I mean, I was just on un- And so, guess what? My wife wasn't with me, so she couldn't regulate my actions. Which sometimes, folks, it really is not helpful. I mean, when that happens, it even makes it sometimes worse. But anyway. So for 20 minutes, I fouled this guy's car. I drove up beside him. I'm, 20 minutes of my life, I thought afterwards, he robbed my joy and my peace and took 20 minutes of my life and time. And reality is, he didn't rob it. I gave it to him. I let my mind be there. I let my mind dwell on that. Rather than going, you know, be, let gentleness, this magnanimous spirit, this spirit that goes, you know what, I don't know what that guy's problem is, but I bless him, Lord, that he will get a ticket soon. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, how many of you go through the day where someone you think has robbed you and you've just given him or her because you've been offended and can't let it go or because something's happened and you just get... And Paul, here's what Paul is saying so clearly, folks. Practice these things. You can become accomplished in joy. You really can live in peace. You don't have to live the roller coaster. You can experience what it means to have the God of peace beside you through the day where you go, man, it's really good that you're here because this is going on, but I'm so glad that you're near. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all because what the Lord is near. He's right there. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and as a team comes, I'm going to ask you just to before the Lord to take a moment and, and just process this in your own heart.
You may be in the situation where God has spoken to you about a relational situation or He has spoken to you about that emotional need to begin to start choosing joy and praying and giving thanks and making that a habit. Or He may have been speaking to you about where your mind's at. You may need to say, God, who's robbing me right now? In fact, who have I opened the door of my mind to let them in? And you need to maybe forgive. You need to let it go. Or maybe you need to confront. Jesus, we just come before you and we offer ourselves to you in the name that you have given us. The strong tower. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.